I think I ble- like black out when I hear Wyndham and immediately go to Hotels Legally Blonde. Or no, Legally Blonde, Brooke Wyndham. Like immediately oh, think of God. Legally Blonde. There ain't, a lot, there ain't a lot of people listening to this this podcast in general, let alone that would know who that is, <laughs> Legally Blonde. Yeah. But uh, sure, yeah. Welcome to another Fits with the Founder. I'm your founder, Nick. Cassie. Yes. We're back. We're back. On a beautiful May afternoon. Actually, it is really nice here. It has me thinking about playing some golf. Yeah. Yeah. Just skip out on the rest of the day. (laughs) I actually did play a lot of golf this weekend. I was down in Pinehurst area playing a member guest with uh, Victor Afable. Three days of... Jokes, fun, drinks, golf, <laughs> drinks, food, yeah. everything. <laughs> yeah, so we had a great time. And so I, I it is nice because to have, you know, uh, what is it, 75 out, sunny? Oh, my God, yeah. 80. Beautiful. I just drove over here with my windows down. It was great. Yeah. So we're here. It's in golf swing or golf season's in full swing. Yeah, I love it. Uh, let's dive in. Well, Want to dive in? I, I you do. Know, you put a lot of interesting things on here that actually, I guess I'm not in tuned enough to know. So I actually had to click through and read Ooh. some of these. I have some takes on these, but... I mean, let's start with the one I know you have a take on, which is Tiger Tiger Woods is being sued for sexual harassment. Okay, so I have no idea where to put... I I did hear about this before. Sure. Uh, I think I've already gone on record saying Tiger Woods off the course, I have nothing to do with. (laughs) But on the course, I don't care. He's the greatest ever. Yeah. Um, I find this one hard to believe. So for the listeners who don't know... I don't know how you don't know if you're on golf Twitter, but um, her, uh, so his ex-girlfriend Erica is alleging that he pursued her sexually while she was still employed for him at the Woods Jupiter, which was the restaurant sure, that she worked for. Sure, he probably for. did. He's but, single. But then he forced her to sign an NDA. So from like a legal standpoint, that like if you're an employer and you force an employee who you're having sex with to do something different than no, other no, no, employees, no. See, that's sexual keyword, harassment. No, the key word is forced. And how do you know it's forced? Because you can have him sign an NDA. Well, there's email exchanges saying that she was un, un, like not okay with it. Like that was literally like presented in court. Now, my issue with this is there's like, this needs to be private arbitration. Like, I don't know why this is happening publicly. Well, I think it's publicly happening because he's fighting it saying this is Maybe. ridiculous. Yeah. And, you know, she's, she's just mad because she's not with Tiger Woods anymore. Maybe. And there's all this stuff. I, I think it's, yeah, to me, I agree with you. Like, I don't care. No. And, but I'm not going to side with either one because. I think they're probably both nuts yeah. to a certain degree when it comes to relationship stuff. So, you know, what's funny about it is, is Tiger just never comes out and like makes a public statement. About no. This and stuff. he's this time, even he's had, it's only his representation that's making yeah. statements. He just goes radio silent. Yeah. It's weird. Yeah. I don't know. But again, I read that. I'm like, I don't know. I feel like this is a money grab. Maybe. I feel like I'm, I'm guessing there's, there's a little bit of both. I'm guessing he pursued her. It was kind of okay. Kind of not okay. Yeah. Then he dumps her, and then she's like, well, I got this little out to make a money grab. Let's go. Yeah, maybe. I yeah. I don't have a strong opinion about it, but I would not be surprised if Tiger did something untoward just because we know who he is as a person. Is not a great dude. Yeah, I mean, who knows? Yeah. Um, good news, though, for me, my guy. So this is my husband instead of mm-hmm. your husband. Ricky Fowler's back in the top 50. Yeah, I saw that. Didn't really care. But- I do. <laughs> it's not news, but I'm I love kidding. Ricky. I, yeah, I, I mean, listen, I, I don't dislike Ricky. I He's just, my favorite. I, did laugh when I saw that because I'm like, okay, great. There yeah. does seem to be this whole like army of Ricky guys out there, gals that you know were excited about it. Obviously, I saw it on the social interwebs. Yeah, but 
again, I'm like, eh. It's been two years and five months since he's cracked the top 50. That's pretty in, that's pretty significant for somebody who is still kind of a household name. You yeah. know what I mean? Like he, people. Well, still he's know just him. done a good job of branding himself. I mean, with when he was younger, with that skateboard look and the orange <laughs> the and Justin all that Bieber stuff. Hair. Yeah, right. I mean, <laughs> like that. That if it weren't for that, he would. I mean, if you look at like his like playing career. Yeah. Eh. I mean, he won the. There's players. actually a lot of people that have done a lot better than them that you can't even name or I can name right off the top of our heads right now. Yeah. But yeah, we're talking about Ricky Fowler. I know. That's. I mean, he's That's, part of the reason I got into golf because yeah, I so. saw this kid decked out in Puma. I'm like, who's this boy? Yeah. Oh, yeah, exactly. love him. I'm very excited for him. That's not really news, but I wanted to share it. Um, so the Wells Fargo was um, this most recent weekend. Wyndham Clark won a name I had never heard of. Oh, Nick. Nick, it's called silencing. Yeah, you know what? We should leave that in there. <laughs> we will. As you know, my phone, well, the listeners may not know this, my phone just constantly goes off. Um, that's okay. It's yeah. part of being in a business for 25 years. I got a lot of vendors, a lot of employees, a lot of everything. Yeah, and except- I make myself generally fairly available. So Our CEO is going to be listening to this and yeah. be like, that's when Nick silenced my call. Yeah, <laughs> He's right. going to know. <laughs> it actually wasn't him. I have no idea. Let's see. Oh. oh, just a fitter, actually. Just just a fitter. One of our many. One yeah. of our 350. Just a fitter, probably asking about something. Um. Anyway, carry on. So, yeah, so Wells Fargo, Wyndham Clark, never heard his name before. You've never heard of Wyndham Clark? I think I, bl- like, black out when I hear Wyndham and immediately go to Hotels Legally Blonde. No, Legally Blonde, Brooke Wyndham. Like, immediately oh, think of God. Legally Blonde. <laughs> there, ain't a lot, there ain't a lot of people listening to this, this podcast in general, let alone that would know who that is, <laughs> Legally Blonde. Yeah. But uh, sure, yeah. Well, here's why. He was supposed to be, like, the next big thing back yeah. in the day. And PXG picked him up, actually, mm-hmm. kind of right away. And then, you know, whatever. I don't think they saw it, and they never re-signed him. Here's what I would like to say about Wyndham Clark, okay? First, uh, two things, actually. First of all, get the guy a fucking hat. Oh, yeah, yeah. That was, if I'm timeless, that's embarrassing. Yeah. He. Okay, you don't get salt stains from one day. No, I agree. He's been wearing that thing. Yeah. Which tells you where he's probably been in the, kind of the leaderboards. Yeah. But he's a big enough name that if I was Titleist and he was wearing my hat, I'd want to have a hat that didn't have sweat stains on it. I, agree. I don't blame him for that. Mm-hmm. I blame Titleist. Yeah, I, I did notice it, but I didn't really think much about it from like a sponsor standpoint. I was more along the lines of like, ah, my guy's having a day. Yeah. <laughs> he's having a sweaty day. No, I, I, I like I said, it didn't come from that day. I mean, you look back at pictures. I mean, he has just, he needs some new hats. Title, yeah. Titleist, if you're listening, send your boy some hats. So, and interestingly enough, so speaking of Titleist, his entire bag is, is Titleist, obviously, except for the fairway wood, which is like a random tailor-made fairway wood and yeah. the putter. The putter is like an odyssey too, but whatever. Yeah, I think that was stuff that he's probably just played even with the PXG days and just happy Maybe. with it. I actually thought what was cool is um, uh, he had an Acro, uh, Acro driver shaft. I didn't notice that. Yeah. He plays all true temper shafts throughout his bag. He but uh, he plays Acker the driver the TZ six. Um, I think that's pretty cool. I like that. Yeah, that's cool. Um, so that was, I mean, the Wells Fargo kind of. I will say this. Maybe this is a hot take. It was kind of boring. No, it was boring. It, okay, I'll just okay, say good, good, it, it good, was good. boring. Yeah, I was like, I, I, I personally, it was boring. Well, like I usually you get the Ricky. Yeah. Or not Rick. God, now I'm talking Ricky. You get the Rory yeah, kind of Rory, thing yeah. going on and or things Rob like that there. Rory, I mean, Rory's in dismay right now. Oh, he's falling There's apart. something going on there. <laughs> because like, you know, he didn't, he, he dropped out of the, after the Masters, he dropped out. Now he hates his driver that he loved like a month ago. Mm-hmm. You know, he's playing around with putters apparently again, all this stuff. So he must just be mentally just. 
in I a think bad it's stress. spot right now. Yeah, I think they're stressed. Oh yeah, it must be so stressed out to be, you know, Rory a bajillionaire. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, listen, there are stresses there. Which, by the way, I don't know. Do we have it in here? No, we don't. Did you hear the new rumor that I saw floating around the interwebs that I'm sure is false? I'm gonna need more than okay, that. Okay, so apparently tomorrow, what is it called? Um, Ricky and uh, not Ricky. Oh, God damn, I you can't, can't even. <laughs> uh, Rory and uh, Tiger's new tournament or, or like company. Tomorrow sports. Do, yeah. Yeah. They possibly buy Live Golf. So I heard that rumor. There's no way. I don't think there's any way too. What? How but salty saw, would that be though? But it could happen. I could see it happen. Well, they've got the money. I mean, yeah, the two of them. They got the money, and they could they could go off and think about it. That that could be Tiger's legacy and Rory's legacy. Maybe the fact that they shut down a competitor almost, or like they wouldn't shut it down. They would combine them, right? Like they would it would become like a I DP think they World would, Tour. Uh, yeah. Well, I think there could be a, a story for they buy live, and then somehow yes, yeah. own a piece of the tour. Well, it'd be like the DP. It'd be just a separate tour. You know what I mean? Like yeah. it'd be something. Could be. That they I don't know. Them. I thought that was interesting. I don't see I'm it wait, Can't wait to see more. Yeah, I don't see it happening, but I, I would kind of love it. I'm not yeah. going to lie. <laughs> I think it'd be interesting. I think it'd be cool. And if I were them, I would fire every single one of those assholes. Well, they probably would do that. I, I don't know if any of those assholes want to stay. Anyway. Probably not, no. Yeah. Um, all right. So Are you we, talking to people that play or are you talking to people that run tournaments? Yes. Okay. <laughs> nah, you got to keep some of the players. I mean, like, you look at some of these players out there right now playing on Live. You know they belong in the world rankings, and you know they belong playing in some of these tournaments they're not allowed to play. Maybe. I don't know. I mean, with the exception of the Masters, there I haven't seen any reason to indicate that that's the case. I mean, there's some good players playing some good golf. To me, that's the part that's disappointing as a golf fan, is I sit there and I go, man, I would love to see some of these guys, you know, like, we're being petty. Like, let the fans yeah. have their people. I don't know. Taylor don't Gooch went back to back, and he's not the name I'm expecting to go back to back. So Yeah, well, that's my point. And Taylor Gooch is playing great golf. Yeah. I mean, he would have probably won the last two events in the PGA Tour the way he played. Maybe. Yeah, that's that's fair. Um, so, I don't know. I just, I think we need to figure out how to, everybody to hug and get along. <laughs> Uh, well, that's not happening with our next bullet point. So the DP <laughs> World Tour called Sergio Garcia out for being a cheapskate. Yeah, but he's he's a, been a well-known, documented cheapskate forever. Correct. Correct. Yeah. Well, so, I mean. And I don't dislike Sergio. I'm really indifferent to him, to be honest with you. Oh, he have been his me. whole career. Like, I just really don't care. He's not on my radar. I don't think about him. Yeah. Um, he doesn't, like, irritate me enough where I, I think about him in a bad way. Mm. But he, I don't think about him even in a good way because I just not on my radar. He's just a, he's been a documented kind of cheapskate guy. He, ever since he destroyed that bunker, I'm oh, out. Oh, I'm sure he's an asshole. I'm out. And but this- just so we can all be clear, and I mean this with all sense of, like, in the right way, most touring professionals are assholes. Yeah, fair. So I think that's probably that's good. why I'm putting him at like just the asshole level of being sometimes a tour player. Yeah, there's good ones out there. There's plenty of good ones. A lot of the ones we talk about, on, you know, on this yeah. podcast. I mean, like Jordan Spieth like is a them. sweetheart, and like you know, Jim Furyk's really nice. It's whatever, but I'm guessing Tiger Woods, even though I love him, oh, is an asshole. Yeah, yeah. for sure. Oh, I, I've seen it. When I was at the players in 2015, when Ricky won, I saw Tiger Woods treating kids like shit. Yeah. Like, so, I mean, it was awful. It's just one of those deals where, yeah, I mean, I think he's a documented cheapskate. And, yeah. But, I mean, that's kind of like, too, the TP World Tour is kind of like all of a sudden crushing these live guys for, and at, at one time they wanted these guys and did, did anything for these guys. And now they're basically saying, no, it's, it's kind of weird. I, I it is in their contract. They did a they lot of stuff to of the grow the TP World Tour, like guys like Sergio and some of these guys. And so I think they feel like, hey, you made a bunch of money off me at one point. 
now you're going to try to do this. Like, I get both sides of that. I, I'll stay out of it because I don't know. But if I was Sergio, I'm not a cheapskate, but if I was Sergio, I'd be like, dude, for years, you got TV ratings off me. Yeah, but the 16 other players ponied up the 100K because it's like nothing to them. I know, but you know? still, it's they just didn't want to deal with it. I, I'm glad, I, I think they should all gotten together and just said no. Yeah. Yeah, maybe. Um, we have ladies news. So Team Thailand swept Team Australia to claim the international crown. The U.S. came in third because of um, Kang and Korda. So yeah. they had a really strong showing. I didn't get to watch enough of that, to be honest with you. And Lexi played with who? I don't even remember. Because I picture. just said I didn't get to watch enough of it. There was a picture of Lexi, Kang, um, Korda, and then whoever Lexi played with in a dress for a thing. They looked good. Yeah, they all, they're all they all super cute girls, and they're all, like, they love showing up and showing out. I love them all. Um, actually, speaking of Danielle Kang, she threw out the first pitch at the Giants game, and didn't I got to be honest. How'd she do? It was, it was fine. It was better. So, like, obviously your brain automatically goes to, like, 50 Cent and some of those travesties. Like, have you seen 50 Cent throw out a first pitch? Yeah. Oh, my Oh my God. Oh, my God. So, it, it, obviously, that was not it. Like, she, it was fine. It would have been hit right out of the park had an actual baseball player been there. I watched some but. video of, what's his name, Jason Ertz, who's, like, uh, plays for the Arizona Cardinals. His wife played for the Chicago soccer team, American soccer. Yeah, Erica Ertz or something. She's sure. a soccer player. And she threw like a per. They threw the at the same time. It was like a Dodgers game or something. I can't remember what it was. One a baseball game or an MLB game. They threw at the same time. She threw a perfect strike basically, <laughs> and he threw it into the dirt. Amazing. Yeah. And he was taking shit from all these football players on Twitter. That's so funny. Going, you need to explain yourself. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I mean, King. She. It was cute. It was like a cute little first pitch. She made it all the way to the catcher, which is sometimes the issue. You don't make it all the way to home plate. Um, but yeah, there's a video on Twitter if you want to go look at that. Um, just announced recently, the top player in the PGA Tour's college ranking, so like their U college um, situation that they have, they will now officially earn a full year of tour membership upon essentially ending that year as part of the college program. They should, hopefully this does well and they should expand upon it. Sure. I mean, it's just like the pros or it's just like, you know, a lot of other sports, you know, mm-hmm. how they go into a draft or whatever, stuff like that. Now I know you can't have a draft, but <laughs> you can, I think you should have something based off college, promote the kids staying in college, have college be a thing that can get you onto the PGA tour. Mm-hmm. I think it would be a great thing. Yeah, no, I agree. And you right- know, speaking of that, oh. cause I'm a hockey fan too. Well, I'm all sports fan. Like last night, like the, the the NHL does it so weird where they have the lottery mm-hmm. and then you choose like your pick. By the way, the Blackhawks got Bedard, who's going to be like way better than Patrick Kane ever was. <laughs> okay. And we're going to have a new dynasty starting, which I'm excited about. But I just don't like I was thinking about this last night, like because I saw this and then I was thinking about that. Like there's no way if you're a young player, you go to college, right? Come out of college, then you go to like every developmental tour, whether you go to Arizona, you go to Florida, you go here, you spend all this money, you play here, you do this. After having this storied career, some of these guys, college players that have really good college resumes never make it. Correct. Because yeah. they got to do all this stuff. Then it's there's no organization to it, and it costs a lot. Like, you don't do that in any other sport. You play college, and then you get drafted. Yeah. Like, or you might get drafted even before you go to college. Mm-hmm. So my point is, is I think that this is really good, and I hope it works out really well, and I hope they expand upon it. I, I think they will. I think this is a good progressive step for them. And with NIT stuff now, mm-hmm. why not? 
You would think NIL, yeah. NIL, yeah. So, and right now it's Ludwig. Or sorry, did I say NIT? NIT. Yeah, yeah that's it's a basketball tournament. Name, image, likeness, NIL. <laughs> um, Ludwig Aberg, Aberg, I'm not sure how to, I think he's Swedish. I don't want to mispronounce his name, but I'm sure I did. Um, he's currently the number one ranked player right now, so he's basically Where's guaranteed. Where's he play at? Um, he's in Texas. Yeah, Texas? Yeah, I think Texas A&M. Speaking of college, did you see that Illinois player? I can't think of his name. I, I'll miss his name. I just read the article today. He was the he shot like sixty two to qualify a local qualifier for the U.S. Open. Okay, mm-hmm. played at University of Illinois. Played went to this local qualifier. Shot a sixty two to win it. The greens were punched, still punched. Oh. And what he had done is he had he was fixing ball marks. Okay. Or the pinch marks. Yeah, the pinch marks. Yeah. Which it technically is against the rules. He didn't know that. So after the round, and he went and turned himself in for doing it and was disqualified. Oh, no. He shoots 62 on a punched golf course. And my guess is, knowing what happened, the course was probably punched late last year. Yeah. And it was probably that the holes were, like, still kind of, like, there but not there. And he was just kind of, like, fixing, like, the green a little bit and didn't know the rule and got disqualified. How about that? You shoot 62. But get to get to the next round of U.S. Open qualifier, which we're going to talk about next we with sure Tony are. Romo. Well, this I, kid, yeah. this was this was a different one. This kid was at, and I can't think of his name, but I just saw they played at University of Illinois. Oh, that sucks though, because yeah. he was doing the right thing. But, yeah, I mean, listen, I mean, most players probably that day would have been like, it doesn't matter. You just smoked us all. Yeah, like it's all good. It's fine. And but he wanted. He said he goes, listen, if I would have gone home, I would have been able to sleep. No, totally. So you're he's guilty. like, I had to go yeah. back and tell the rules official that that's what happened. They said, oh, yeah, it's a violation. That but, sucks. Oh, poor guy. I mean, obviously, if he's that good of a golfer, we'll see him eventually. Yeah, probably. <laughs> I'm fine. thinking that. <laughs> so, actually, funny enough, we talked about Ludwig, um, Aberg, Aberg, whatever. He won the U.S. Open qualifier that Tony Romo was trying to play in, and Tony Romo got trolled for his piece yeah, play. well, okay, so I read this one, and I, I'm not trying to support or defend Tony Romo by any means because I don't know him well enough to do that. But what I will say is, is, I watched like the tw- like the Twitter video. Yeah. It's okay. Not that they're bad. all yeah. They're all doing that. They're just they're just picking on him because he's Tony Romo. I, I think that's part of it. With the only and I don't have it. I also don't have an opinion. I don't know Tony Romo. I don't care. Well, our fitters down in Dallas know him well. In oh, do fact, okay. Bobby Bobby Enos, who is one of our aerial sales, sales manager, been with us almost Forever. approaching ten years. Yeah. He plays a decent amount of golf and money games with Tony. Oh, nice. And Tony is not slow. Okay, fair enough. Yeah. The, I think, so the devil's advocate argument that you could make is that they announced him and everybody did the clap, like, yay, Tony Romo, whatever. Then he pulled out his rangefinder. Then he put on his glove. Then he put his ball on the tee. Like, you could have been doing any of this prior to that Oh, moment. 100%. But I've played, okay, it's been it's been some moons since I played in them, but <laughs> 20 years ago, I played in U.S. Open qualifiers, These these the local ones yeah. that are like everybody and their brother and sister play. Well, I guess just brother. Yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, they play in and they are slow. Yeah. I mean, they're six hour rounds. It's gross. When you have to play these super slow rounds, you have to find a way to pace yourself because you could, to your point, do all those things. But if you do all those things, now you're just going to start standing around and you're going to start thinking and you're going to start getting irritated and it's going to do it. So 
I'm playing devil's advocate again, not defending Tony, but it could have just been the lens we were looking through. Maybe. And I also think that so, so pace of play or slow play is a super hot topic right now. So I think had he done this exact same thing two months ago or three months ago, we wouldn't have been as hard on him because this is a huge conversation on Twitter right now. Right. So, ah, whatever. I don't have a strong opinion because I don't care one way or another. <laughs> so. I'm not, I'm not as, as big of a fan of him as an announcer, but... Um, I love his love yeah, for golf. I don't. I don't have a strong take on that. I, if you're asking me who I enjoy listening to talk about football, who used to be a football player, it's always going to be Peyton and Eli. Like that's always. They are be, funny. Yeah. No, I agree. And Tony actually, when he first started, I kind of thought, okay, because he would have some good takes, like before the play happened, because you know he played. Sure. Now I feel like he's gotten a little complacent, and they've gotten pretty off, and yeah. like whatever. He's but, a little lazy. Yeah. <laughs> That's okay, though. What about um, some demos for Club Champion? Yeah, we got some new demos that got sent to the score stores, although it's starting to slow down for the moment, and then it'll pick back up in August again. But we have the uh, new Zaxiel Prime 12s, um, which is uh, Zaxiel. If you don't know anything about Zaxiel, it's more of a lightweight. It's built for that person that needs club head speed, needs something a little lighter. It doesn't exactly fit the bill of, like, everything custom custom like we normally do. But then again, our shop here could not produce as light of a golf club as this golf club is. It's that light between the grip, the shaft, the heads. So there is a use for it. And you can you can still fit it to a degree of making sure you get the right length and the right line angle and the right loft and the right set makeup and all that that the fitter will help you with. But it, it's built for that person that, man, we need some, we need something light. We need some speed. We need some pop. And it, it, they do the best job at it, in my opinion. Um, we've always done well with Zaxio because it fits that niche that needs it. And they, they know it's a niche thing for yeah. that, that golfer. It took me a year to figure out how to pronounce that brand name, though. Zexio? Yeah, yeah I mean, it doesn't look X-X-I-O. Like, yeah, where'd you get the Z from? Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> no idea. Thank God I worked through it when it first <laughs> launched it. And I, I'll just keep sticking with it. You know, uh, Super Stroke, we've, we've actually been offering these. We just didn't have the demos in the store uh, yet. Was this Energy Tour, this Energy Flatso, this Energy Pistol, the Claw, the Wrist Lock. So now we at least have demos in the store. You could have bought them before, but uh, now we have the demos in the store. Um, from the driver standpoint, we put in a couple new ones. Uh, we got the 2023 Big Bertha line, and um, it's basically your kind of like price conscious forgiving driver from from them it's meant for the person that needs to get a little bit more launch a little bit more spin possibly get rid of a little slice so those drivers have gone to the store along with the new pxg 0311 gen 6 driver and the 0311 xf gen 6 driver those are both in stores now now i haven't got to use the woods too much i know uh our counterparts our friends ian and them i think did a video did. yeah and gave it really good reviews i can speak for the irons they're unbelievable mm-hmm. and you know i have a love and hate relationship with pxg from generation to generation bob will kill me for saying that but he, i i would have <laughs> said it to him yeah to I was gonna, he's not listening to this and i would have told it to him to his face i i wasn't as big of a fan of gen 5 product mm-hmm. i think gen 6 products really good but that kind of has been in cadence it's like mm-hmm. the gen 1 products like every other cycle is really good yeah which makes sense you get a little farther away and you know they figure out a way to make it a lot better but so we got those woods can um, i tell you something about pxg before yeah. you move on the other day somebody said parsons extreme golf out loud and i was like the fuck are you talking about oh oh pxg pxg okay okay yeah. like because you don't ever like, uh, you know i've never heard anybody it. really say parsons yeah, they're like, extreme oh, golf I but that play, is what the acronym's for <laughs> they're like i only play parsons extreme extreme golf i was like as what is many, that as, <laughs> many, as many will know i'm not a huge acronym person 
but I would prefer to say PXG than Parsons Extreme Golf. It's, it's so dumb. Yeah. It's, it literally took me a second to register. Anyway, carry on. We also have those Big Bertha 23s in... Uh, Oh, by the way, you know what I forgot? Riva too, which is the women's oh, yeah. line of the Big Bertha 23s. So we have both those drivers and Fairway Woods now in stores, along with the Gen 6, uh, 0311 and 0311 XF drivers and Fairway Woods. We already had the irons and the hybrids in the stores, I don't know, two months ago. Mm-hmm. But the Woods are finally in the store. And we also have some Big Bertha uh, 23 Riva and regular hybrids. Um, and irons. Um, and then last, the only shaft we're adding this time, but I'm going to have some different shaft. I'm going to have some new shafts to share with you on the next show from EST. But the only shaft this time is we've had the Fujikura Axiom, um, the 75 and the 95. Well, I'm going to screw it up, but whatever. <laughs> the other two weights, we finally have the new Axiom 125, which is their more, you know, extreme players club, heavier weight, 125 grams. Sure. So, uh, which those things, um, I'm not going to lie to you and tell you they're cheap because they're not. They have the Velocore. They're basically mimicking their driver shaft, um, which has performed really well. That's not cheap, and but it's performed well, and so it's, it's sold a lot. The Axiom irons are just as good, and they're pretty sweet. So yeah. check them out if you know, especially somebody who might be on the fence with graphite to steel. Man, don't be afraid. Check graphite can be a, cha- a game changer for folks. Sure. Um, in the world, the, everybody going. You know, when people think about graphite, they're like, "Oh, that's an old man or an old ladies' club," or that's, you know, uh, it's not as stable or it's not as consistent. And you're starting to see more and more tour players. And as the generations kind of change, you're going to see more and more of that. Because graphite irons, just in general, A, from an engineering standpoint, you can do so much more with them. Mm-hmm. Um, and then now with the prepreg or graphite material, like graphite's a generic term, um, you know, that kind of, those kind of materials have just advanced so great. I mean, make, make plane sails, they make everything out of this stuff. Yeah. It's so resilient and you can do so much stuff with it. You can do so much more with a graphite shaft and design and helping you play better golf than a steel shaft. I'm not saying steel shafts are going away, but I'm saying keep an open mind. Yeah, fair enough. Um, we do have a new store. I think we might've teased this on the last episode, but we're now open in Fredericksburg, Virginia. Okay, any um, specials with that? We do have specials with that. Um, <laughs> we have 50% off your fitting with a purchase of 500 or more. That's usually available for about six weeks after the store opens. So if you're hearing this, it's probably still happening. Um, Fredericksburg. And then Fredericksburg, yeah, I had, to, I had to look it up. Yeah, I kind of did too. <laughs> I knew the general area, but sometimes when we get that granular with the sound, I, I lose. Yeah, it's a little different than like Richmond. It's yeah, like, okay, right, yeah, exactly. I know where that is. Like, yeah. I got it. Um, we are actually pretty much on a hiatus until July, thank God, for myself and my team. We're on a hiatus for opening um, new stores until until July. But I think we have, we have one more coming in Texas uh, in July and then one in Mississippi, I want to say. Uh, yeah, you got Ridgeland, Mississippi is one of the next ones. And then what is South it? Lake. South Lake, Texas. Yeah, yeah. we've already opened and a And they're both going to be early July, I believe, mm-hmm. or mid-July. Yeah, but we get a little bit of a breather for the month of June. Which for the month nice. of June. And then there's... Uh, eight more? Something like that. Something crazy. Eight more for the second half of the year. So you're going to keep hearing about them. Insane. Insane. <laughs> we also just launched, and we may have teased this as well, but it's now officially available as of May 1st. Um, we officially launched our military and first responder program, which is something that's very important to me. I am married to a first responder. I have a military family. Um, so this kind of covers all of the grounds for me. It's something that I feel is long overdue. Um, if you are a current or retired uh, military member or first responder, you would get 10% off of your order at Club Champion, um, if it's a Club Champion build. 
And really all you got to do is just show your ID to prove that you are indeed one of those um, career paths people. And it's available nationwide. Um, and also our counterparts in Canada will be honoring this as well because they have a really strong community up there as well of um, first responders. So super excited to be able to announce yeah, that. Yeah, this is awesome. You know, we've we've done this behind the scenes for about forever. Forever, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I think since the beginning, for people that don't know me, I'm a pretty big uh, first responder military supporter. So like this has been something that I would we've never not done. Yeah. It's just, we're finally making it more formal, formal and in front. And I think it's a great program. And for the folks out there that can take part in it, happy we can do it. Yeah. It's awesome. I'm really excited. Um, there's more information on our website. If you want to see who qualifies or how to get it, what to book with all of that stuff. So awesome. We are going to take a quick break right now, and then we're going to hop into a conversation with Lou Stagner, who is the head of data insights at Arcos. And we're going to talk about the marriage of data and technology. Welcome back to the pod. We're uh, joined now by Lou Stagner, who is uh, Data Insights Lead for Arcos. Also has uh, co-host Hack It, uh, what is it, Hack It Out of Golf podcast? Hack It Out Golf, yeah. And then, uh, but he's a personality on uh, social media and has a lot of insights on golf. And thanks for joining us today, Lou. Yeah, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. So uh, let's just dive right in. Give us a background. Like, Tell the listeners uh, where you got, how you got to where you are today, and what intrigues you with golf, and and how your path is kind of taken here. Yeah, sure. My my background is in data and analytics, so I was I've been working in analytics over twenty years now, uh, since before they called it analytics, uh, and I've always been a numbers person, and uh, I have a spreadsheet from back in the mid nineties. I would track every single shot that I hit in golf. I still have all that data. Uh, and uh, that was just kind of a natural progression uh, for me to get into golf data, so to speak. So about five years ago, I started a blog on golf analytics. And that led to a couple of introductions with a few different people. And it just has expanded from there in, in ways that you know, I never thought would happen, never intended to happen. It's been uh, it's been a lot of fun. It's been uh, enjoyable. It's great to be able to combine two passions, data and analytics and golf and, and do some of those things together. So it's uh, it's been a blast. I love it. I mean, that's what we're always looking for to talk to people like to me being in golf for 25 years. I got into golf because I loved working with my hands and building things. And then I learned golf clubs need to be built. And then the fitting kind of came and that whole thing. And when you can mesh your passion, you know, two passions together, it's pretty special. And, and you know, when people ask us all the time, like, how do I get involved in golf? Well, a lot of times you can mesh your passion into golf. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. What, like, how'd you get involved with like Arcos and um, them? And the, I'm sure because of the data analytics, but give a little background of like what got you to that, uh, your partnership with Arcos and maybe even tell the listeners a little bit about Arcos too. Yeah. So um, I got to meet a few of the uh, the principals, the, the key folks over at Arcos um, as my, you know, social media profile grew. You know, I, I work with uh, a lot of elite players I've worked to uh, work with and have worked with tour pros in the past. I work with a number of elite college players. I'm the assistant coach at uh, Princeton University men's team. Um, and they, um, you know, connected with me and they have the largest 
largest on-course data set in the world, you know, creeping up on 700 million shots right now. And, and way back when I tried to get access to their data uh, so I could, you know, take a look at amateur data uh, in depth uh, with all of the information that they had. And, and that sort of started a conversation about ways where I could potentially, you know, be involved and engaged with what they're doing. Um, and so I, I joined them back in 2021, uh, just in a, I'm in a part-time role with them. Uh, I've, I still have a full-time job in corporate America at director of analytics at a large company. So everything that I do in golf is a, is a side hustle at the moment, and it's grown into a relatively big side hustle at the moment. Um, <laughs> but it's, it's a lot of fun and it's a blast. Um, and so uh, back when we started the relationship in 2021 and, and I got access to the Arcos data set, uh, boy, for the first time when I was able to peel back the layers and and and, um, and do whatever I wanted with hundreds of millions of shots, it was like a literal kid in a candy store. Um, and I don't know, I don't know that I slept that first night. I think I was up way too late uh, playing around with data and, and just, uh, you know, answering some questions that I had. And, and, and it's been a lot of fun. And you know, so for those that are not familiar with Arcos, um, it's a way to track your stats and get insight on your game. Uh, there are sensors that you can place on the end of your club, they screw into the grip. Uh, or we also sell grips that have the sensors built into the end. Um, and then you connect, those connect via Bluetooth to an app on your phone, and that automatically collects all of your data. Uh, and you play with either your phone in your pocket. And if you don't like to have your phone in your pocket while you play, we have a device called the Link. It's a really small device that will clip to your belt or your front pocket, and that will collect all of the data automatically while you play. And then you, after you're done, you can uh, use the app to get insights in your on-course performance. Uh, look at everything from you know strokes gained in each of the categories to some of the typical stats that people have thought about uh, you know for the last however many decades in golf. You know, for us, we're a data-driven company in the sense that when you come in and get fit, it's all about the data, not about brands and different things. And right. um, it's also, you know, I've always said this, club fitting should lead to lower scores. That's what it should do. You shouldn't just walk into a store and go, yeah, fit me for this club. What is the goal here? We need to fix, you know, X, Y, and Z in order for you to play better golf and it better lead to playing better golf. That's why we always, our tagline's been forever, better fit, lower scores. Arcos for me is one of those things that allows, you know, a golfer to really track what's going on in their game. It can really be insightful for your club fitter as well, because, okay, we can now see you tend to favor more the right side or the left side on fairway or on uh, off the tee or hit the green, you know, this amount of times or I have this many putts and we can really see where you're struggling or where you're excelling and then, you know, try to fix your golf clubs around that. Although you got to do other things too, but sure. golf clubs that help you do that. And then we can also track you as we make those changes with golf clubs to make sure the golf clubs actually doing that for you. Yeah, definitely. There's a lot of valuable data um, beyond just the golfer, after they're done looking at their data, their own data on their app, they can share this data with the club fitter. They can share this data with their professional um, as they're working through trying to improve, which we're all trying to improve. That's really valuable data to to both club fitters and pros. You know, typically, uh, we'll, we'll just talk about getting lessons when a player shows up for lessons. 
the thing that, you know, if you ask any golf professional, they'll tell you that pretty much every amateur says, I want to get more consistent. Um, and that's pretty much what they say. Uh, and when you walk into your lesson and you can provide actual data on each facet of the game and how you're actually performing, that can really help guide what the pro is going to work with you on. And as far as club fitting, there's a lot of value there in club fitting from gapping to you know, potentially identifying things like, uh, you know, lie angle, lie angles, as you know, they can get pretty wonky. And if you have, you know, maybe a club got, uh, you know, way too upright and maybe your seven iron, you're, you know, always missing it left. That might be an indication that, you know, maybe we should check lie angle and maybe there's something off there. And I actually think uh, our CEO Sal had that happen to him. Um, I think he had a, I think it was his six iron, maybe, um, and it was, he was missing it way left and it was the only iron that was doing that. And he had lie angles checked and it was out of whack. So, uh, there's a lot of value in the data that you can leverage to help you shoot lower scores. Yeah, that's awesome. So, you know, uh, there's a lot of different segments of golfers out there, right? You have like your beginners and your casuals and your competitives and your avids and whatever. And, you know, we see them all the walks of life at club champion. And, um, you know, some people understand this data analytics and some people don't, they're like, ah, you know, this is too much for me or whatever. I'm sure you get this a lot. Like, you know, Lou, you're, you're an analytics guy. You're a numbers guy. You love this. That's why you, you gravitate towards it. What do you say to like the golfers out there that are more the casuals or whatever that maybe are like, nah, you know, eh, that's too much for me and you know, whatever. Um, I'm not going to do that or I'm not interested in that. Yeah. Well, I would, Arcos is a very easy lift, so it doesn't require a lot of effort on the part of of the player. Um, it's it's minimally intrusive to to what you're doing. Doesn't require a lot of effort. You go in afterwards, just kind of take a look at what it captured, validate that everything looks good, uh, give it the thumbs up, so to speak. And now you have some really good data to uh, to help drive what you're going to work on and improve. And the reason that that's beneficial is we as humans are not very good at aggregating and remembering a lot of different shots in golf. You know, this is true for a lot of things we do. Uh, there's a lot of bias that we introduce into what we think is going on and having the actual data removes all that bias. There, there's a lot of players out there that will think maybe they have a great short game or they're, they're really good at putting and the opposite is true. Uh, or there's players that think I'm a really bad putter. Uh, and maybe they, you know, they missed a, a seven or eight footer in a key moment in a weekend match with their friends and they've done it once or twice. Um, and that sticks in their mind and they remember that. And every time they miss an eight or a 10 foot putt, now they remind themselves how bad of a putter they are when it might not be true. That might be a very good putter. So understanding how, how you actually perform is really important. The other thing that's important is not, not everyone's the same. You know, typically if you're a mid to high handicap golfer, you know, we would be telling you, you want to get better at ball striking. That's typically the big differentiator between a mid high handicap player and a lower handicap player. But that's not always true. Um, you know, take a, let's take a 10 handicap, for example. I'm sure that's a relatively a sweet spot for the people that are listening to this. If we were to take three 10 handicaps and put them on the tee box, and one of those 10 handicaps was in the top 5% of putters, um, they would be putting like the typical scratch player. 
And let's say the the second 10 handicap player was just straight average and putted exactly like the typical 10. And the third handicap player was in the worst 5% of putters for all 10 handicaps. They would putt like the typical 20 handicap. So now remember, we have three 10 handicaps standing on the first tee. One of them putts like a scratch. One of them putts like the typical 10. One of them putts like the typical 20. The difference in skill level between the one that putts like a scratch and the one that putts like a 20 is about five shots. That is a massive skill difference. And so we can't just generically say you're a 10 handicap. You need to work on these things. Um, And putting's probably not where you should start as a 10 handicap if you want to get down to a scratch. But in the case of our 10 handicap that putts like a 20, there's probably a lot of low hanging fruit there. So knowing what your fingerprint looks like is extremely important to help you drive an improvement plan so that you can get better as fast as possible. But hopefully that all makes sense. No, it absolutely does. I mean, that's what it's fun. Like I go out to my club, right. And I'm, I'm smarter than the average bear when it comes to golf. Right. And so I, I see all these just you know, normal golfers. Right. And they're all like going to the range and banging this or doing that. And they tell me their story and I've played enough golf or watched them that I'm like, no, 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 no. You're, you're practicing the wrong thing right now. You already do that. Well, like here's, did you think about when we played the other day, when you duffed those three chips around that, or when we played the other day, you kept ending up on the right side of the green. That's what I would be working on. And our coast is that that's that easy to your point. And I think this is what we sell in our stores all the time. Our coast is like, listen, all you got to do is either buy the grip or put the plug in, have your phone in your pocket or have the little clip on your belt. That's all you have to do to collect it. And you can go is you can go to a little easy dashboard or you can go to a deep dive. But it's basically going to just dissect your game and give you points. If you see a big point of reference, it's really bad. That's probably where you should, you know, put your time, whether it's getting club fit and getting a club for it, working on your, you know, whatever you need to do with your pro or going out and practicing, you do all those things and fix that part. You'd be amazed what it would do for your game. And it doesn't have to be difficult. You don't have to be a techie. And I was talking to my dad once about this. He's like, hey, I'm not really, you know, that's not really my thing. I'm not, you know, hooking up things or whatever. I'm like, there's nothing to hook up here. I'm going to screw these things in here. You're going to turn on the app and away you go. It's like, it's. It's not, it's not sophisticated. So um, yeah, I just, I, I always like to point that. And I loved your point of view on it. I think you did a great job of saying, Hey, a lot of people think getting better at golf has to be this very difficult thing. And it, it's hard, but if you sure. know what is happening, then how are you going to attack it? You might, it's like people go all the time. Well, I don't want to go to the gym because I don't know if what I'm doing is worth it. Yeah. You get a trainer and they show it to you. This is the same thing where it's that now you can go work on your game and you know what you're targeting is going to help you play better golf. Yeah, definitely. Absolutely. Okay. So let's move on a little bit. Uh, uh, Hack it out golf podcast and your Twitter following. Do you, do you communicate differently with them or, you know, like what, what's your goal in communicating with people and stuff when you, when you're talking numbers and analytics and, and your podcast? Yeah. So I'll start with Twitter. So um, I, I first will tell you that I, I loathe social media. I am not, I'm not a fan of social media. I've never been a fan of social media. And when I started my blog on golf analytics uh, about five years ago, one of my friends told me, you know, you, you really need to get on Twitter and, and start uh, tweeting this information out uh, about all the things that you're doing. Uh, and I didn't even really understood what that meant. I wasn't even at the time, I, I didn't even 
use Twitter as just somebody that was reading things. So I didn't even understand what it meant. And I had created a Twitter account, you know, many, many years ago and, and opened it, I think one time, I think I maybe had uh, three followers and the, my wife and a couple of Russian bots were following <laughs> me probably. Um, and uh, so I started uh, tweeting things out and it became relatively quickly. It, it became pretty interesting on how you could grow an audience relatively quickly. Um, and I've tried to communicate a, a, a lot of good information to help players over the years to help them, you know, do things like manage their expectations better. I think golfers typically have, for some reason, uh, pretty warped expectations on, on what they think good is. Uh, and I don't, uh, it's, it's always, a, it's a mystery to me. Uh, if you take any other sport, amateurs are typically not thinking they can perform like the best in the world. Uh, but for some reason, golfers tend to hold themselves to a pretty high standard. I think we might be influenced a bit by like what we see on TV. Uh, you know, we're typically watching the players at the, top, at the top of the leaderboard and they're amongst the best players in the world and they're on a heater. They're playing really well. So we see a lot of good shots and, and we maybe translate that to how we should be playing. Uh, and, and so, you know, I, I like to put things out there to help people uh, really understand what good looks like and, and what is acceptable uh, based on your skill level. And so, that's one of the things I, I try to accomplish with my with my Twitter account. And I've learned through the years um, being uh, shorter uh, with what you communicate and how you communicate it is is better received. When I first started, um, you know, you can go back to my Twitter profile from 2018, 2019, and you can see I would put out uh, some graphs and charts and plots that were you know, much more math based and very in depth. Um, and I would get some interaction with those. But for the most part, people want things that they can consume very quickly, um, things that can make sense very fast. They don't have to think about them too much. And I, I don't mean that in an insulting way. They just want to, as they're scrolling through Twitter, they want something easy that quickly makes sense. And they don't have to spend five minutes dissecting some math on a piece of paper. <clears throat> so I try to, that's what I try to do with Twitter. Keep it simple uh, with the podcast. Uh, that's much more longer form content. So I co-host with Mark Crossfield, uh, who's been, uh, you know, in the golf space for a long time. He's got hundreds and hundreds of thousands of followers across his social channels. He's one of the original YouTube coaches. Uh, he's been on YouTube forever. Um, and our other co-host is Greg Chalmers, um, who's, you know, creeping up, I think, on 500 starts in the PGA Tour. Uh, he's 49, about to turn 50, so he's going to give Champions Tour a run. So, you know, it's great to have these different perspectives. I'm the, I'm the resident math nerd. Mark is a very, um, you know, experienced golf coach, and, and Greg has been playing at a world-class level for the last 30 years. So it's an interesting blend of personalities. We, we focus mostly on instruction. Uh, occasionally we talk about, you know, current events in golf, but most of what we do is instruction based and we all try to bring our different expertise to the table. And, and we have some, uh, some good chats around that. 
I think uh, I think one of the things you said reminded me of a text I got in this group chat that I have with a bunch of members of my club. And what you said, manage expectations, golfers managing expectations. And so uh, a group of guys that I play golf with, they went down to a different club yesterday, Olympia Fields, you know, horse. Sure. Yeah. So, of course. And they had this posted in the men's locker room, and one of them took a picture and sent it to the group chat. It said, manage your expectations. The best in the world only make four out of 10 from 10 feet. And then it had a chart of, you know, distance, uh, two feet, 99%, three feet, 96%. Now they're putting it against the tour. I think a lot of times you break it down by handicap, which I think is even cooler. Sure. Um, but the point was, is it's funny that you said that because they're sitting there in this locker room yesterday. And there's this chart just saying, manage your expectations. I also think, and I love sending this around, there's there's a website maybe you know called Popa Slope. It was one of the ones I've sure. heard stuff. Yep. But there's a handicap chart in there, right? Yep. And I think Golf Digest, I know Golf Digest just released another one the other day um, showing like what, how many years you should shoot, like if you're in a handicap, should shoot a certain score. It would take you to shoot that. And again, there's always a swag to certain math and whatnot. But I do think it's interesting, like data kind of shows like when, especially for me, when I'm playing club events and I'm worried about my handicap, other people's handicaps in that event, you know, they were like saying even a zero handicap of 65 is like takes 24 years to shoot or uh, 70 at a zero handicap six months. Um, now, again, there's a lot of questions and polls you can poke in it. Um, there's a swag there, but I think Popa Slope actually does it even a little better. But um, yeah, I just think it's interesting that most golfers don't like they just think about what they read in a magazine or here or, you know, whatever. The math would suggest otherwise, and they should probably start looking at that a little bit more. Yeah, I think that's an important part of the game, managing your expectations. Um, and I get I occasionally get a lot of pushback on this. I, I get people that say that that interpret it in uh, in, in, a, in the wrong way. They, they think it's lowering your expectations. And that's not the message that I personally am trying to, to get across to people. Um, I want you to try as hard as you possibly can on every single shot that you take. I want you to pick a good target and I want you to do everything you can to hit it exactly where you're looking every single time you play. But that's not going to happen. It doesn't happen for the best players in the world and it's certainly not going to happen to you. So you have to need to have reasonable expectations around that. And why I think that's important is uh, I've told the story a few times and, and I forget where I originally heard it from. And I always write a note to myself that I'm going to try to remember where I heard this from. But anyway, Justin Rose, when he first went to see Sean Foley, Justin Rose thought his wedge game needed work. Um, and Sean Foley went and looked at the numbers and his strokes gained per shot with his wedge play was in the top three on the PJ tour um, PJ tour. They're the best players in the world. And he was in the top three in wedge play on the PJ tour. And he thought he was under the impression his bias was influencing him to say that his wedge game was poor and he needed work. And, and his coach said, you're crazy. You're out of your mind. What are you talking about? You're really, really good at this. And so having correct expectations backed up by data is really important for golfers. I play with some amateurs, some of my friends that think they are really poor wedge players, but they are in fact really good wedge players after we started to gather some data on them and really quantify what their performance looked like. And what happens is when you have expectations that are completely unreasonable for your skill level, you start to be 
uh, hard on yourself. You start to, you know, get down, you start to get angry, you start to get frustrated, you start to get mad, you start to get disappointed. All of these things, all of these words um, are not conducive to playing good golf. They ironically uh, allow you to start playing worse golf. Uh, and and so having expectations that are reasonable for your skill level um, will avoid you going down this spiral uh, and ending up in a place where you know your mental game really starts to suffer, which now actually drives your scores higher, which is what we're not trying to do. So understanding what is good for you is extremely important in the, in the game of golf and using actual data to support that, you know, gives you the ability to, to know exactly what is going on in your game and remove the guesswork. You know, if, if Justin Rose, who was literally one of the best wedge players on the planet thought he was a poor wedge player, like, What's going to happen to your typical, you know, weekend warrior? They're going to be off on certain parts of their game and what they think is good and what they think is bad. I think that's super well said, and I totally agree. Uh, I was going to point that out. I mean, the, the even you see the advent of data to tour players. That has been a revolution. I mean, that's why when I look at they're trying to roll back golf balls or trying to do this. One of the biggest things I think that's gone to scoring in the PGA Tour is understanding analytics and looking at it. And I think there's still a long way for a lot of pros on that. Like they're just tipping their toes in the water. But like, you know, we we have SST Pure and I do a lot of studies with them and things like that. And I look at like how tour averages have moved along when I'm analyzing what that has done for, you know, golfers. And I'm like, I start seeing the trend get better and better. Well, it's because they didn't they didn't have that. They didn't have that information um, or if they did, they weren't using it. And I, I think, you know, the best players in the world are using analytics to their advantage in every sport. You know, so I think the average golfer, it's not hard. Arcos gives you a very easy platform to do it on and basically crunches everything for you and just basically goes, here you go, go work on that. And, or, you know, look at this, why not use it? Yeah. And, 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 you know, we really are still in the early stages of leveraging analytics in golf. So Mark Brody, the inventor of strokes gained, uh, he invented it back in 2006, 2007, 2008, somewhere around there was when his first paper came out. And the PGA Tour did not start leveraging strokes gained until 2011, and they initially only started with putting. Uh, and then his book came out, Every Shot Counts, that was around 2014 or 2015 when it came out. I think it was maybe 14. Um, and it took a few years, and and, and you know, only recently has there been a real explosion uh, across golf and golfers of all levels leveraging analytics and using this to help not only understand their game better, but make better decisions. Um, you know, one thing on the PGA tour distance has always been important, uh, but we understand that a whole lot better now than we used to 25 years ago with the advent of strokes gain. So we can quantify the importance of distance and, and what it means. And, and that's why you see a lot of players um, at all levels doing things like speed training to try to gain speed and add distance because there is value in that. And it is going to lower your scores. So I expect there to be continued growth in what is being done with numbers in golf and how players at every level uh, are using that to their benefit. Awesome. Uh, how, I mean, I mean, this is an obvious one. We should probably just ask this right off the bat, but we'll ask it now. 
how has golf analytics affected your personal game? Like what was your personal journey with golf analytics? Yeah. Again, I, I started many, many, many years ago. Um, and I was tracking all of my data at the shot level back in the nineties. So I have this, this, um, system that I concocted and I would go out and I would write down tons of notes on every single shot that I took in shorthand on my scorecard. Then I would get home and enter it into a spreadsheet. And, you know, I realized that very few people are um, this into uh, stats. And so not many people are going to do this. And, and so I've always leveraged and tried to leverage all this information to help me um, get better at the game. Um, I wish that Brody would have invented strokes gained in, uh, you know, the late eighties. Uh, I really did. I started playing golf, um, you know, mid early to mid nineties. Um, I wish strokes gained was popular by then because I grew up in the time where, you know, it was dry for show, putt for dough. Um, and I thought putting was the end all be all for the game. So I spent a lot of time on putting and I'm still a, a pretty good putter, but I'm a horrible ball striker. Uh, and I was able to get down and, and play at, at or around scratch for a lot of years but I was always the worst ball striker and the most inconsistent ball striker of all the people that I played with back then. Uh, and I wish I would have spent more time on the full swing than I, than I did with putting in, in short games. So um, I have leveraged stats in golf for almost 30 years now. Um, and the advent of a tool like Arcos has taken all of that manual effort that I used to do and one, it's made it go away, but two, I get so much more data um, from a tool like Arcos than I was, uh, than I was getting manually. So I continue to uh, use it every day. It's extremely valuable with my coach. Uh, I work with a guy named Jason Giesbrecht. I provide him data and it gives him insight as to what's actually going on. Uh, when I'm playing and there can be pretty big differences between what's happening on the range or in the practice center versus what's happening on the course. So being able to, for a coach, being able to see what's, what, what's going on when you're out on the golf course uh, compared to what's happening when you're in the practice facility uh, is a huge benefit to the coach to help them understand, you know, what, issues might be leaking back into your game when you're when you're out there on the course playing so it's extremely valuable and i think it's valuable for every level um you know i, I finished last year I'm, I'm down around a two index now playing a lot worse than that at the beginning of this year um but it's valuable for any level whether you're a two index or whether you're a 35 index there's a lot of value in here for you your coach your fitter etc okay before uh Cassie launches us in the A's and A's. What uh, what what's next? What should what should uh, Arcos for Arcos and what should um, Arcos users and potential Arcos users be looking out for? Um, well, that's a really good question, and boy, I gotta think how I want to answer this because there's some they they are one of the things that I love about Arcos. So I'll say this is. They are not, you know, sitting on their laurels. They are working extremely hard to make the product better. And they have some incredible things that are in progress being worked on. I don't think I can share them, but there, there are some incredible things that they are bringing to the app uh, with respect to what's going to be available to you, um, how it's going to give you additional knowledge 
Um, so I am extremely excited about the progress that they continue to make with the app and what's going to be av available. So, you know, if you're not using a tool like Arcos and you jump on board now, like what you see on day one is not what you're going to see next year. The product is continuing to evolve at a very rapid pace. And we have, I wish I could share that. I wish I would have talked to somebody to see if I'm allowed to say some of this stuff because I'm, <laughs> I'm bursting at the seams because we That's have okay. some really, really yeah, cool That'll just point. that'll just be the uh, the cliffhanger, right? You got yeah, yeah, and and we started using this this year. So I'm the assistant coach at Princeton. We started using this um, with the Princeton team this year, and it's been incredibly valuable to the coaching staff as well as the players to uh, you know to leverage all of this data and give them the insights that they didn't have before. And it's exciting that it's just going to continue to get better. I agree. I like partnering with Arcos because well, what I've liked about partnering with Arcos is since the last time, I mean, whatever it's been, three, four, five years, I don't know if there hasn't been an enhancement every year, if not a couple times a year to the app, to everything they do. Um, and I love, um, Cassie will tell you, I love working with companies that are constantly innovating and recreating and, and making a better version of themselves instead of just trying to sell the same thing year after year. So, you know, and I have a lot of faith at this point, you know, Arcos is going to keep doing that. Um, there's been other competitors that come and go, and I'm sure they're fine units, but what I like about Arcos is they stick to their guns and they continue to innovate. And I think for the long time, they're going to be the leader and um that's great yeah i can promise you that um as some of these things that are in the hopper uh, as they start to come out it's going to blow your eyelids back so i promise you that awesome cassie yays and nays let's do it let's yeah. do it so we have some fun ones today i will start with yay or nay golf specific workouts so things that help your golf game in the gym lou let's start with you yay Yay. Do you do golf specific workouts when you're in the gym? Um, yeah, I try to do a lot of rotational moves. Um, and so, yeah, I would, I would say um, I'm doing some things that are very golf specific uh, intended to, to help my, my golf swing. I probably need to spend more time there, but yeah, definitely <laughs> doing some of these. And I think anything is better than nothing. Sure. Uh, so, you know, because a lot of that's going to help avoid injury, help you gain more speed, all of which is good for your game. Sure. Nick, what about you? I'm a yay. Uh, I do not look like it, and it would be a lot worse if I didn't, but I do work out five to six days a week. I try to integrate, like, to the same thing he said. I, I try to do a lot of legs because I feel like that's a good thing for speed and some rotational stuff. But outside of working out five to six days a week, I also go to a place called Stretch Zone twice a week and get stretched. And actually, mm. I think that's helped my speed more than anything I've ever done. Um, it's not a workout per se, but you know, uh, the owner of the one here local is a golf nerd too. And a huge golfer he was a really good golfer when he was younger. Um, he's a young guy too. And, um, he, he talked me into it and I can already tell you, it's picked me up some club head speed, just stretching properly. Oh, interesting. I, yeah. I'm a yay in concept, but I am so self, cause I go to the gym a lot too. I'm so self-conscious in the gym that there's not a chance that I'm doing these workouts. <laughs> <laughs> like I'm not going to uh, do it. Click on your link. There could have been some weird ones in there. I'm talking just like, you know, some rotational stuff. Yeah. There's like, if so, I sent a link to these guys for the, for the sake of the listeners, just with some examples of what I mean when I say golf specific workout. But I mean, anybody who's seen Justin Thomas or Lexi Thompson, or even Bryson back in the day when he was really popular on YouTube, that 
that those workouts that they're doing in many cases, especially if you're a right-handed golfer, they're working a lot on strength on the right side of their body and rotation on the left side of their body. Right. So like, but you look so weird doing it that I'm not going to be in the middle of like a lifetime of fitness or whatever. Just like, here, let me do this with a medicine ball and look like a crazy person. So totally here for it in theory, but the odds of me executing it in public are slim to none. um next one is golf slang so terms like hitting bombs draining putts fried egg in the leather things like that yay or nay lou yay you like golf slang awesome yeah i mean golf has sure everybody does golf has the the best you know you can have conversations with another golfer and you can use just a you know, a parade of phrases and a, a non-golfer is going to have no idea what you're talking about. So uh, I, I love all the, the golf slang. Do you have a favorite or a least favorite term? Um, favorite would probably be be the number, like Ooh. because I you just hit a good shot and, you know, it be the number. Um, so you're staring I'll it study. down. <laughs> yeah. Be the right club today. Oh, um, that was right club today, yeah. not be the yeah. number. You're right. Be the number is probably my favorite one. My least favorite one. Uh, I think would be never up, never in, um, only because it's damaging to golfers and it makes them shoot worse scores. Yeah. <laughs> Nick, what about you? Yay or nay golf? So I'm a huge yay. 99% of them can't be said in public on this podcast. <laughs> um, but I got some good ones. Hmm. Actually, um, one of my favorites is Clark Gable. Uh, it's gone with the wind. Uh, oh yeah that's a good one you I got the bunker you know when you go bunker to bunker i call it the saddam hussein jesus yeah <laughs> so i mean i got there's tons of there's a lot i can't say now i heard a good one this isn't golf slang but this was golf trash talk this weekend when i played this member guest i went down to forest creek and piners played a member guest and uh you know member guests you can have gimme putts right you can tell the player pick it up right and so this player goes down marks it and he goes you know we all get, everybody gives all this money to cancer research and all these different like research things, but you never hear about anybody giving anything to a uh, lockjaw company, you know, lockjaw uh, organizations. Yeah. Get it? <laughs> I didn't say pick it up. <laughs> uh, nice. That's fun. I like, I like trash talk. I feel like that's its own category. Like maybe we'll do a yeah, that's probably its that. own category. I just heard that one. I never heard it. The guy said he executed it better than I did. Yeah. But I died laughing when he said, it. I'm like, dude, I was going to tell you it was good, but just relax. But <laughs> you know, he heard that somewhere else and was like, I'm going to use it. Oh, no, no. He said that. He goes, because I said, I'm stealing it. And he goes, that's fine. I stole it. Yeah. That's funny. Um, I, I'm a yay, but I think I have more terms that I don't like than terms that I do like. So I agree with Lou that golf is one of those like categories of, of things where it's like, you can almost speak an entirely different language and people who are outside of the sport have no clue what you're saying. Um, so I, I really enjoy that. But when you get into like, like sometimes it's so bizarre, like the one that I never understood was chicken stick which is like that people will be like, oh, that's your go-to club or whatever. Like, I don't yeah. understand why it's called a chicken stick. Like, I don't get that. Because you're a chicken. You need to hit the driver. Maybe. I don't I just so, it, I hate that one. I also hate p- calling a bunker a cat box. I think that's gross. And I've actually heard people say that on the course. I'm like, there's so many other things you could have called that other than a cat box. Um, but what my favorite, and this is because I'm a fan of the fan of bananas. I love the, the term banana ball. I also hit slices a lot. So I am familiar with the term banana ball. Um, that's one of my favorites though. But like the Clark Gable one you said is super funny. Um, anytime they name something after a person, there's always some weird thing going on with it. I think that's super funny. So I'm a huge yay. 
yay or nay VR golf, Lou? Uh, yay. Um, I, I think VR golf, uh, I've done it and it's pretty impressive and it's only going to get better. But I think there's a lot of use cases beyond um, just going out and playing a game. Like I, I've had conversations with the inventor of golf, uh, golf plus Ryan Engel. Um, and I think there's, you're going to see it used for things like planning course strategy. Like I work with players on planning out course strategy and we use things like Google earth, but at some point you're going to be able to go into a golf course and be in this 3d environment and kind of walk around and wander around and use that as a planning tool for strategy. So, uh, I'm, I think it's, it has a lot of promise for more than just, you know, playing a game with your, with your friends. Do you feel so if you've done like the Oculus version where they have like the headset, yeah. do you feel obviously <laughs> the animations aren't necessarily hyper realistic, but do you feel that a swing motion and everything that you are doing as the golfer within the game, do you feel like it's a pretty accurate representation of what you would do or see on the course? I mean, I think it's directionally correct. I don't think it's by any means perfect. Um, I think it's directionally correct. I, I think there's some use there for beginners. I, I think there's things that you're going to be able to do in the future. Uh, as the technology improves, it's going to get better. Um, so it's still pretty early on and it's pretty impressive for what it is now. Five years from now, it's going to be significantly better than what you have today. Awesome. Nick, yay or nay? Yeah, I think I'm yay. And, I, and a lot of the points Lou said, I, I think you still have a long way to go with this and a lot of ways to make it better uh, and more realistic and more to your point. Like, Cassie, if you're saying like when I play Oculus right now, I play with my six and four year old, right? Like, right. Fun. But the swing motion isn't, but you'll get there. Like, I think once they'll get there and I, I never thought about it for like course planning, things like that. I, I there's just so many opportunities. I think it's fun. It's something different. I love sim golf. Well, I just love anything golf. Let's just leave it. At that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's fair. Um, I'm a yay. Cause I think it's interesting, but for <clears throat> me, every time I've done anything VR related, I'm just kind of underwhelmed to be clear. I've never done the golf plus or any of the stuff that's specific to golf related, you know, items, but I mean, you know, you do like horror games or like shooting games or whatever, and zombies come out of nowhere. It's kind of like, this is really funny for the people watching me do this, but it's not as fun for me. <laughs> like, the golf um, plus is pretty cool. Is it? Okay. It. Maybe I'll bring my kids in and you can try it. That would be cool. I, I feel like I'd be really bad at it, but I'd be interested in seeing it. It's, it's not as easy as it is. I would thought the first time I put them on it does take a little bit of getting used to the controls and how you swing it and how you hit it and how you create speed. But yeah. Yeah, that's cool. Yay or nay, Twitter's new blue check subscriptions. Since you're a Twitter expert, Lou, let's start with you. Ah, uh, boy, that's a that's a a polarizing topic for sure some is. people. <laughs> um, I would say yay. Yeah, y yay to that. Um, yeah. I had a blue check mark before Elon bought Twitter. Um, I had my account hacked. Uh, I went through this. Uh, not my account hacked, but uh, duplicate fake accounts were being created. And there was a stretch there in like a week where there were many fake accounts that were created and a couple of them racked up a ton of followers pretty quickly. And they were trying to, you know, sell things and spam people and it was not good. And so I submitted to get the blue check mark and, and I and I got the blue check mark, um, I think pretty much because of that. Um, and when blue check marks became paid, I, as a data person, I made a hunch that 
You know, if you have, if you pay for the blue check mark, I wouldn't be surprised if your content gets boosted in the algorithm. Um, and they released details of the algorithm not too long ago, and that was indeed the case. So um, I decided to con- maintain my blue check mark uh, by getting the subscription. I'm, you know, growing an audience on social media, and it just kind of made sense to me for for what the cost was to. You know, I, I took a risk that my tweets would be boosted by having the blue check mark, and it ended up being correct. I'm not sure what's going to go, how it's going to be going forward, but I'm okay with it. Fair enough, Nick. Yay or nay? Yeah, I'm a yay. I mean, listen, I'm a Twitter stalker, not a Twitter uh, poster. So, you know, I I don't own, I don't really do anything with it, but. I- I think it's, you know, hey, listen, if he wants to monetize it and make it so that those are the accounts that get boosted and do that, and you can have long form videos, different things. Uh, I'm whatever. I'm fine with it. Yeah, um, I think I'm a yay as well. I understand people's issues with it because the idea of earning it, quote unquote, as like a public figure or as a brand or something like that. I, I get it. Right. But like you just said, Lou, you had earned it. And then Elon just kind of changed the the rules a little bit. And I don't think there's anything wrong with going and saying, hey, no, I'm I'm still going to purchase the blue check. I'm still going to rep- represent myself like as a public figure. And for me, just setting aside the marketing cap that I usually have on as just a person who's on Twitter, some yeah. of the initial things that happened after this announcement was made where people were buying blue checks and pretending to be brands and going and commenting on things. Very funny. They were very funny interactions sure, with like fake Chick-fil-A and like fake sandals, you know, the, the vacation spot, like very intriguing and very amusing. So I'll give it a yay. And lastly, and I really put this on here for me because I think I'm the only one on this call that cares even a little yay or nay, the uh, coronation of King Charles the third. Um, I mean, I, I, neither. <laughs> Like when it happened, when it, whenever it happened, like I didn't even know it was going on. Mm. Um, Same. <laughs> I had no clue that it was happening, so I don't follow or pay attention to to many of that. So I'm not a yay, but I'm you know I'm not a nay. I I, I don't understand it personally, the the royal family and the whole concept. But you know if people want to follow, um, I'm fine with that. Nick. Yeah. I don't know where I'm at. I'm kind of with you. I, I lean further to a nay. I usually would be a yay for these things. I love history and I love like trying to keep our history alive as we go. Like there's certain parts of history we should always keep right. And there's certain or know and learn. And there's certain parts of history we should change. Obviously. Um, I feel like the only thing that bothers me is like the Royal family really doesn't have anything to do with England anymore. And other than just being this figurehead of history. And so I, I don't know, it's whatever. It's fine. I didn't, yeah, I didn't even know what's going on until somebody told me, but. Oh, okay. I mean, I could literally talk about this for days, but keep in mind, I am the age group of person who grew up watching like Disney princess movies. And for me, that concept translating to real life is mind boggling. So I'm one of the people who has uh, an interest in not an obsession with, but an interest in the Royal family. Like I was up at the ass crack of dawn to watch Will Mary Kate. I did the same thing to watch Harry, Mary, Megan. Like I did not watch the coronation, which is what my answer is. My answer is a nay. Because I can't stand Charles, <laughs> I think he's a dick, um, and I feel like I've never I've never met this human being. And we make these blanket statements on this podcast all the time about golfers and stuff like that. So I feel like I can say it about the king. Although I'll probably be on a list somewhere because I'm saying it about like a, a public figurehead like that. 
I just, I'm like team Diana all day because I grew up, you know, I remember my mom like watching the footage of like the car accident or whatever and crying. Like I have the beanie baby of princess Diana, <laughs> like the bear. Um, so I'm team Diana all day. And it's, it's just annoying to me that we ended up, we had like this, the longest reigning female monarch. And now we've got Charles. Like I'm just, I'm underwhelmed. So uh, big nay, can't stand it. Anyway, on that very um, unrelated note, we do appreciate, Lou, you coming on and spending some time with us, talking through Arcos, explaining to our listeners um, how Arcos can help their game and how it's even helped yours. So we love working with you guys um, and all the OEMs that you work with. So we really appreciate what you do, and we can't wait to see what Arcos has in store. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. I enjoyed the chat. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening to Fits with the Founder. Remember to rate, review, and subscribe to support our show. And if you want more equipment content, follow the Club Champion and TXG content teams at TXG, a Club Champion brand on social media. Come on, come on.